today I want to talk about podcasts because um, I think they're just my absolute favorite form of entertainment, of media in general. It's the best way I can get any information into my head. So I brought a friend on that is an expert in the medium, and that's Ray Ortega. Hello there. Hey, Tyler. Your favorite form of media. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it really, like, I spend a lot more time with podcasts than uh, movies that's or true. TV shows. I think that I think that is what uh, the sort of surveys and numbers tell us too that once people discover podcasts they really shift their media consumption time more towards podcasts yeah it's a big on or off kind of thing like people don't understand them they don't understand podcasts it just doesn't click and then it clicks and um the the ball just starts rolling downhill and i i think you can really get sucked into that world because you're not watching anything it's only occupying one of your senses so you can do it when you're driving and you can do you know all the, all these things we know why podcasts are great i mean we're on one we're listening to one right but um introduce you i mean i found you because your name everywhere is podcast helper which was a clear sign to me that you could help me start a podcast and how did how did that whole thing start like how did you get into helping people with their podcasting? Well, back when I learned podcasting, or, I, you know, back in, gosh, let's see, I found podcasts for myself in the iTunes store, like 2005, I think it was. And then, of course, became a rabid listener. And shortly thereafter, I said, hey, I want to figure out how people are doing this because they have a show that I can subscribe to. Basically, it comes to me without me doing anything however often they publish it, and it's available to the whole world. And the guys I was listening to were terrible, <laughs> Cle- <laughs> yeah. clearly had no permission to do what they were doing other than giving themselves permission to do it. So I had to figure out what is this democratized media. Uh, and so I went and produced a podcast, uh, and it was a food-based podcast, basically. And it, so it had nothing to do with podcasting. And it was my vehicle for teaching myself how to produce a podcast. And so after I did that for... I would say at least a year, I had learned so much about podcasting because I, I mean, literally spent every waking hour, even when I was at work, <laughs> I think I was busy listening to other podcasts about podcasting. There wasn't much back then. Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting, he had probably hundreds of episodes already. He's the uh, the, the original. And uh, I consumed that at work and I would take notes and I would go to bed with one earbud. I still do that, by the way. And I would- <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm guilty sometimes, yeah. I can't wait for my AirPods. Oh, yeah. It totally changes the game. <laughs> it's going to change everything. So, you know, I'd have a tablet by my bed and I'd take notes at like one in the morning. So I was just learning, learning, learning. There wasn't a ton of information out there, but there was some. A lot of it I had to learn myself. And so after I had amassed this a whole bunch of information about how to podcast, I wanted to share it. I always want to share information that I learn. I, I do this on YouTube or wherever medium. I find myself sharing it because I feel like it's kind of, a waste. If you just learn it yourself and don't share it, it just kind of goes to waste. My grandfather was a firefighter and an excellent cook, total rat hole. He uh, <laughs> used to make uh, the family great meals. He passed away and I was like, oh, hey. And I think I asked my grandmother or something, you know, can we have grandpa's chili? And she's like, oh yeah, he didn't write anything down. Ooh. So it was just gone. And I was yeah. like, man, that was just such a waste. I mean, it was great. We got to enjoy it. So anyways, I always like to share and I just feel a natural pull towards teaching, I think. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast where my actual passion was. That wasn't on the first show. That was just to learn podcasting. And so a podcast about podcasting made total sense. I wanted to share these tips and tricks. So I started the podcaster studio, and that was 
when I started teaching. And so when I went out on social, I tried to get Ray Ortega. It's a fairly common name. I couldn't get it everywhere. So I needed a moniker and a podcast helper. Basically, I wanted to use Twitter as uh, sort of a Q&A type thing. And I want to make it obvious why, why I was there. What are people most likely to have heard that you've done? Because I know you work on other people's shows. Like how might people have seen your work or heard your work? I mean, it's so funny because ironically, it's a lot of times it's YouTube. I did a mix minus tutorial. Yeah, that was huge. It's great. Yeah, I had been podcasting for years and doing well in my my niche but I went to a conference and everyone would say, I get an elevator, be like, oh, because they'd recognize you because your face, right? There's your voice. Yeah. they like, oh, you're that guy that did that Mix Minus video. <laughs> and uh, it still gets a lot of views. And so a lot of people recognize me from that, but a lot of people find my podcast through that as well. Yeah, no, I've been running into that same thing lately with, uh, since I started upping my YouTube content. Yeah that the the numbers on YouTube just kind of crush podcasts. Like I say it's my favorite medium to podcast because I think the connection is much stronger with the audience, even though it's a, a smaller audience. Yes. But the numbers on YouTube are crazy. And, and that's the weird thing. I mean, numbers are very deceptive on YouTube right. because, you know, okay, first of all, everyone wants to do a viral video. And okay, do you really want to do a viral video? Because you have <laughs> one video that does a million views and you've got, 990, you know, 99,000 people who never come back right. to your channel. You have a podcast and you get 100 people to subscribe. And guess what? They come back every week. So what would you really rather have? Um, consistent subscriber, you know, relationship with podcast listeners or one big YouTube video? And I do okay on YouTube. I have decent subscribers, but it doesn't mean what it means in podcasting. Mm -hmm. So I'm about to get 50,000 on YouTube. But I release a video, it doesn't mean I'm going to get 50,000 views. You know, it, for sure. it depends yeah. completely on the video. It might get a couple hundred views. But if I have 2,000 subscribers on my podcast, I'm pretty much consistently can tell I'm going to get that 2,000 downloads. Right, now, right. whether they listen or not is a different story, but <laughs> yeah. we now have new stats for that. So, Have you, have you been looking at those? I looked at them once. Uh, yeah, I just – I'd heard about them and I forgot about them that now iTunes is reporting listen stats through – the official podcast app and um it's it really changes things to look at it. it's very strange because for, for me i think the podcast app takes up about 60 70 percent of this show and then overcast is by far the next biggest but only the apple podcast app reports listener stats like how much of episodes they listen to and um it was interesting. I mean, it, it kind of matched what I thought that like most people that download listen to it, but not all, right. you know, uh, so it didn't, it didn't really change much. I think but. it's too early. I think there's a lot of questions in, in, in what is going on in those stats. Uh, I know the new media show discussed it recently and I think they had more questions than they got answers when the release of those stats. But yeah, you can see that, you know, I think a lot of people uh, let out a sigh of relief because they're like, you know, we always say it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. yeah. Polls say that people who listen to podcasts listen to the majority of the episodes that they listen to, like yeah. 80, 90 percent. And these numbers are showing that. Yeah. There was this great tweet the other day by Marco Arment saying like, uh, you know, when people complain about monetization on YouTube or ad rates on YouTube, he's saying like he's sitting there on his Casper mattress using Internet over his Eero, listening to Audible on his, you know, like with his Squarespace website. This is, and this is me too. Every major podcast sponsor, 
that sponsors a lot of shows, I've bought at least one thing from them. I mean, I have a Harry's Razor. I have, because it's such a strong connection, like hearing about something over and over from every trusted source that I know of, you know, the people that you end up feeling like you have the strongest internet relationships with really, really works. It, it gets you much more aware of the product, I think, than seeing a quick three-second YouTube ad. Yeah, I agree. I would say ads on Instagram work really well, but that's a different, for me, it's a different conversation. But on podcast, you know, in those stats, we're supposed to also get some ability to see if people are skipping ads. And I'm not sure that that is actually in there yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that's coming. I'm not sure how it's going to be implemented. But, you know, that's one thing people are worried about. But we don't need numbers to prove that. I mean, like what you're saying, exactly. You can prove it by talking to your audience. Have you ever bought anything from a sponsor on a podcast? People are listening. And, you know, that's why promo codes are still powerful because it lets you know people are hearing the ads and they're using it. And if that ad is late in a podcast and and enough people are using the promo code, people are listening and they're using it. So, yeah, I've never had an issue. Um, I I think the numbers are interesting, but it doesn't change that much for me. So the the other thing you were just telling me that you're doing lately is uh, stuff with Pod Save America on their tour. So what what does that mean you're you're doing in that world? Like your own shows are targeted to like a very specific demographic, and then you've created kind of this career for yourself helping other people. Are there many people that can have this job of producing? Like, is this a thing people should learn in school? Like, be a podcast producer? <laughs> if you could learn it in school, it would be really cool to take. <laughs> I'm sure there's somewhere you could you could learn it, like, officially, and someone gives you a certificate. But I don't know uh, what that is yet. I, I think that people talk about monetizing their podcasts, and I always talk about all the skill that you are learning and teaching yourself uh, when you produce a podcast and the, how that may be extremely valuable. And that's what I was doing. When I was producing a podcast, it wasn't a means to any end other than wanting to produce a podcast, which is what producing a podcast needs to be, mm-hmm. primary, or you won't keep going. But I didn't realize what I was doing was building a portfolio of my skills. And then I, through going to um, conferences and stuff, I ran into somebody who had a job in a communications department for a large nonprofit and they were doing podcasting. This was early, you know, 2008 and they were successful and they needed help. And I got hired for that job, which I've been doing over the last decade because I spoke the language of podcasting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about knowing how to produce video or broadcast standards or anything like that. It was about speaking the language of podcast. And so people who produce podcasts are becoming the go-to people when other organizations are looking for help with their podcast, I think that you have some skill to offer. And if producing is something you really love, I think there are, is growing opportunities for, for you out there. I see job postings for podcasters and production more often um, every year. So it, it is an interesting potential career path. I think there's so many companies that could really benefit from a podcast that don't even realize yeah. how much it could could help them. I mean, I... Uh, I was working on a, a web startup recently that the design agency we went with, production agency, was entirely because I'd been listening to their podcast about web production. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get inspired and do research about this new project. So I start subscribing to all these podcasts to get information into my head, do my whole uh, data dump that I like to do with with all internet media. And then the company that we ended up going with was because they had been delivering me information that was super relevant to me. And I, I think that can work for 
kind of anybody. I, I think it's super effective. And so the landscape in 2018 of podcasts, I feel like is shifting still quickly. Like we've already gone through a few sort of false alarms of that. We're in the golden age of podcasting. And that false alarm happens every three years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it keeps happening, but at the same time, I think the truth is that there's just been a steady march forward in podcasting. Like if we could put all podcasting on one chart somehow, it would, clearly be moving forward and clearly be growing and, and having wider exposure and, uh, you know, it kind of surges ahead. Like the, a big flag for me lately was seeing that in one of Casey Neistat's recent vlogs, he said he is about to start his podcast uh, at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. And uh, Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD, who's the biggest tech YouTuber, uh, he's been talking about launching one. And this is how I've been thinking about this show is that I feel like it's starting to be a just uh, if you are already a creator, you just should also have a podcast. Like th- I yeah. think that's what's about to happen. And I don't want to be late to doing that because I've known that should happen for a few years now. But you've had a podcast. Yeah, I have. But I, I also, um, I don't feel like I've taken it seriously enough. Like the photography podcast uh, usually comes out about once a month. And it's it's tough to really hit a schedule when there isn't, like we have no sponsors on it. So I'm only doing it because some people tell me they like it. You know, that's that's great. Yep. But it's it's hard to really commit to it when the things competing are actual jobs. And so what what I'm hoping this show can be is because it's at a broader audience, I can let it be part of the YouTube thing, let it be targeted at a, at a wider group eventually, and, and also just hopefully have a bigger listenership in the long run. I think there's a cap on professional photographers that are going to listen to the other show. That's a pretty big niche, though. I mean, professional photography is pretty big. I mean, it's certainly on YouTube. And then there's a couple really successful podcasts that actually do well. So I don't know. I mean, we are talking about the difference between being niche and being more broad, which is a broad and multiple topic variety show. That's a tough tough for nut to crack, right? Because how do you find your audience? Yeah, maybe I'm not even being as broad as I think by uh, doing a show about everything. <laughs> but I, yeah. I feel like there's other people out there that are like me and you, which is what this show is meant to be right. for. It's like somebody who is has the mind of a creator. But it's still hard to, that's true, but it's hard to find those people for a podcast because sure. what are they searching for? Totally, yeah. Podcasts for people like Tyler and Ray. Like it just doesn't come <laughs> yeah, up yeah. on iTunes, right? But you alluded to that because you said Casey Neistat's about to launch a podcast, Marquez Brownlee. You know, these guys have built a following of people who want more about those people. They don't just want the tech. They want more of not only their lives. I mean, Casey's a vlogger, so people follow him because of his life. But, you know, MKHBD, what is it? Uh, yeah, you Marcus got Brown. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's close to that. Who follows me on YouTube, which was amazing to find oh, out. Oh, that's but, cool. Or he has seen my videos. I don't know. He commented on a video. And I was like, hey, that's, oh, that's amazing. Cool. He tweeted me yesterday. That was exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. So, see, even people who do this stuff get excited when, you know, those are our, you know, we fanboy over YouTube people and podcasters. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. so those people, they're jumping in because it's another channel for their audience and that audience who wants to hear more of their opinions on different things. So that's how you take a really sort of a variety show and something that's really broad and find your audience because you've built your audience some other way. And so you're talking about tying it into your YouTube. So you are building a following on YouTube and and those people will filter to the podcast. So that, that's one way to do that for sure. Instagram, you know what I mean? Anywhere yeah. where people want more of you, 
But, yeah. you know, just putting out a variety show, if you're, that's how you're starting as a podcast. Oh, yeah, that'd be tough. It's very tough. Or people want to do music shows and stuff like that. And it's just it's too broad. It's yeah. too broad to get a, to get traction. No, that's a really good point about it. And even <laughs> speaking of what is this episode targeted to, I guess I should have decided a bit more because <laughs> I, I wanted part of it to be for anybody interested in starting a podcast and then also just the interesting points about podcast culture. So we'll, we'll yeah. also make sure we hit some basic beginner points towards the end of this. But that, yeah, so my strategy is definitely trying to bring over people that are already becoming engaged through YouTube because it's easier to find the numbers there, basically. And then the people that have expressed interest in having more of me, I can put out more podcast episodes than videos ever. Yeah. It is always so much more work to put out a video. So um, this is this is a way to kind of connect with the base, the people that find whatever it is I'm interested in interesting can get engaged really easily. The trick is how to move those people over. So how are you doing that? Uh, I'm just I've just started mentioning it in episodes, like, like every video. Yeah, just just kind of dropping it and <laughs> I have a podcast. Exactly. Yeah, and so far it's grown a lot faster than the camera podcast, which is good. I mean, it's not bigger wow. than it, but it grew much more quickly. Like I got to the same place in a week that it took me a year to get to in the other one. So interesting. I know it's it's 100% because of YouTube. So thank you very much, YouTubers. How many subscribers on YouTube? Uh, 40, uh, 42,000, I think. Okay, so we're sitting at the same place. So because yeah. I'm really curious of all kinds of things. YouTube is such a fun platform. You know, we enjoy. I enjoy podcasting. I probably enjoy YouTube as much. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's very different. And uh, I'm very curious what happens at 100,000 because I've seen some interesting stuff without trying that hard. As I approach fifty thousand, mm-hmm. that it makes me wonder, wow, what if I put more into this and oh, yeah. hundred thousand? So totally. you know, getting people to move from one platform to another can be tricky, um, but you know that is very interesting that you are moving people over, and um, you know, I'm just curious how other people can can do that. And so you're just mentioning it. Hopefully, there's a link in the description, stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'll, I'll have to report back to you. <laughs> but the other part is, as far as people wanting to start a show from scratch that just want to get into podcasting it's not as easy it's funny because in a way it's easier than youtube and in another way it's much more obtuse it is it's behind a veil you don't know what needs to be done because you start googling for how to start a podcast and you'll get dozens of different answers like versus how do you start a youtube channel well basically you upload videos to youtube (laughs) you know and then that's just it i don't think even people probably don't even look for a tutorial because you just go to YouTube and you're like, oh, I'll sign up for an account. Okay, upload. Sure. Yeah. Okay, right. well, I know how to make a video. I'll just upload. I just shot a video on my phone. I'll just upload a video. That That's it, right? And then, and you're done. It, can it work that way in podcasting in <laughs> theory? But you're not going to find it. You're not going to go to, you're not going to find a host and just be like, I'll just sign up and upload something. It just doesn't work the same. Well, and a bit of the inside baseball stuff for podcasting is that we also don't necessarily want that. There are big risks involved with handing over too much of that control to, to like an outside company that is really able to. Right. And they exist. Like what? Like what are those kind of turnkey solutions? I mean, there are things, you know, going back, there's blog talk radio, which you could call in on your phone <laughs> Yeah, and they'll create the RSS feed. And, and it used to be worse than it was because you'd get in there and then you couldn't get out when you realized you wanted to do things different. They've made improvements there. Uh, but even SoundCloud, most people, you know, they, they fall down the hole of like, Oh, I've heard SoundCloud. It's just or, so easy. It's so easy. And, and they do RSS and stuff like that, but they, they sort of own your RSS and there's with podcasting, you really want to have control. It's yours and you want to keep it yours. 
and you want to be able to move around if you if you want to. And and so it's your brand, you're building, you're going to put so much work into it. You really want to make sure you control all aspects of it. And YouTube, you could say, oh, well, you don't control YouTube. And that's right. Like YouTube is very, um, it's dangerous to yeah. put all your eggs in one basket. And YouTube can kick you off. I mean, they've got this whole controversy where they're banning video. I mean, they're demonetizing things. And, and that's some people's, that's their entire revenue because they haven't built out another plan yeah. to move. We talked about moving people, move people off YouTube into their other revenue streams or email list, whatever it is, or to their podcast. So YouTube is sort of, is it super easy? Yes, but you are at the mercy of YouTube. And there's less of the trade-off with SoundCloud where you don't get the same exposure that you get on YouTube. Right, not, not at like all. YouTube brings you to a huge audience. SoundCloud doesn't guarantee any audience at no. all. Well, YouTube has a huge, they're hugely motivated to make sure that you do well on YouTube um, because and they give you tons of resources because they make money off of eyes yeah. um, and ears and advertising, where as a lot of these companies, they don't. Um, a lot of people want iTunes or Apple to get into advertising so that they put more money into podcast and, and do more for discoverability, which is a, probably pretty much a, a myth that that's a problem. But yeah, I mean, I kind of like that they stay out of it. So SoundCloud is definitely the easiest. And it's where I know a few fashion people that have been putting out podcasts lately that I was surprised that podcast was the medium they decided to go towards huh. because it requires a little more technical knowledge, but SoundCloud is what they all chose. Uh, they all do. I don't know where we talk about those tutorials. I don't know where people are getting their tutorials from, but everybody chooses all these yeah. bigger names. They all go to SoundCloud and I don't know what it is. So can you really quickly spell out what the issue with sound, the specific problem people will run into in SoundCloud so they know whether it's right for them or not? Well, I mean, first of all, it's just not a good platform. Like the tech is not good. It, it, it goes down and SoundCloud sort of put it on like a, like a spare wheel. They're like, oh, I guess we should be in podcasting. And so uh, a lot of times with the RSS feed, which is basically your URL that connects you to your audience, uh, used to be that if you wanted to move, when you realized that it wasn't a good platform, they didn't offer all the tools that you'd want once you'd want to do more advanced stuff with podcasts. They didn't, they don't offer all that, a lot of technical issues mm -hmm. and you wanted to move, you couldn't, they sort of held you hostage. You can do that now, but I've even seen, you have to sort of insert a redirect and that doesn't always work. And they insert things like, I think that their email is, uh, if you don't set it up right, their email will be in the feed and that's not, you don't want to submit to Apple like that because Apple might need to get in touch with you. Uh, uh, they might want to feature your podcast. It's all about control. Again, you know, you want to be the person driving the car and SoundCloud sort of is that person. And and again, the, the tech is just not that good. People real, realize later on, they're like, oh, I want to do that with my podcast. Right. And they can't, whether yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, submit to Spotify or something like that. So, And there's also this looming thing that SoundCloud has just been in trouble for right. a few years Who now. Wants they're running to keep out of worrying. money. So. Yeah. They, people do it because they can upload a lot of, a lot of megabytes, like it, a lot of episodes, whatever you, however you want to categorize that, for a cheap price. But you pay for cheap. And SoundCloud has basically been losing money faster than almost anybody loses money for the last, I don't know, five years. And every year we go through this thing is SoundCloud. Doomed. <laughs> and someone saves them. Uh, but how many times can it happen? How many times can it happen? Or they're going to get uh, acquired, which is, I think, what they're hoping. And then whoever acquires them will probably get rid of podcasts. So you're just going to be in the same you're going to have the same problem once again. So you might as well start with 
a better host right up from the beginning and not ever have to worry about that problem. Okay, so not SoundCloud. <laughs> uh, what what are you recommending lately? I think you use Libsyn for yours, is that right? I do use Libsyn. Uh, Libsyn and Blueberry are the two that have been around basically from the beginning. They're also in the community, uh, meaning you can actually find out who works there. You know, the support is great. They both have shows about podcasting and they are podcast specific companies. Again, built for podcasting. That's what they do. All these other companies, they tack on podcasting because they heard it's something they need to be in and and then sort of let it sort of rot on the vine. But, you know, Libsyn and Blueberry both, when they're, you know, when Apple came out with, they came out with a bunch of new tags, which are just basically identifiers in your, in your code that say, Hey, um, you know, tell me what episode number this is and it'll show up in the app. And actually that's still an issue. But um, before, when Apple announced it, those companies, they had it in their system and working before Apple even released it. I mean, like you're always going to, they're doing stuff that you want to do for podcasting, right? They're building for podcasters and they are profitable <laughs> and yeah. there's all kinds of good, good reasons. And right. their uptime is reliable. Um, their, their servers, you know, your downloads will be at a good speed. Their stats, it's it, a lot of times it's about stats. They're, they're really good. They have stats that advertisers are going to want to see. Right. Like that can be an issue because there isn't one standardized platform. So with YouTube, advertisers know that they can trust Google's right. analytics platform. But it, when a sponsor approaches you about a podcast, they want to know that they can count on the numbers that they're seeing. And they know that they can trust Libsyn or Blueberry numbers. Yeah. So those two are really good. Dan Benjamin from 5 by 5 Network has a newer host called uh, Fireside. So this was going to be mine. I don't want you to steal my thunder too much because this is <laughs> this is what the show's being hosted on. Okay, so I don't I don't know enough about it, so you can you can have at it. But I've gotten to the point where I think it's been out long enough, and you know I, I know Dan a little bit, and I I trust what he does in tech, and so I think I could recommend that as well. And in fact, it would be my recommendation for podcasters who want a really nice website that's easy as opposed to like a Squarespace solution, which is going to get really uh, a pain. It doesn't work very well. Or you have a massive amount of media you need to upload of audio media and um, their price for the sort of all you can eat is better than anywhere else you're going to get it, I think. Right. Once you get to the higher amounts. So yeah, I mean, my experience with it is that there's, there's only really one price and it's a higher price than getting started on the others but it is a lower price than the top end of Lipson right. and Blueberry That's and right. has most yeah. of the features. Yep. So like you're kind of investing more in, in assuming that you're going to stick to the show, right? Assuming that, yes, I'm committed to doing this, so I'm going to spend a little bit more every month, but then later it's very worth it. So here's a few features that I've just loved about it compared to Squarespace. So Squarespace is where I've been doing cameras or whatever. And I'm going to go down one more rabbit hole before I actually explain what I love about Fireside. The issue with Squarespace is that, um, or the reason I'm there first is that I know that I'll have my Squarespace site forever because it's stallman.com. It's been my portfolio site for years. I'm going to keep paying that bill no matter what. And I used to have a Libsyn account for my podcast more than 10 years ago. And that show just is gone to the ether. Like I'll never see that show again because I stopped paying for it. It wouldn't have made sense for me to be paying for a dead show for 10 years. So by putting it on Squarespace, I know that it'll at least survive. Like it'll it'll keep being there. The issues with Squarespace though are there's no in 
stats built into the platform. So I have to route all my stuff through a third-party tracking thing called PodTrack, which yeah. is pretty messy and mediocre. Like it, it means it messes up my RSS feed. Like nothing's great about it. It kind of sucks. Uh, but it's free and it has that thing of like, I, I own the, f- if m- my feed might break someday if PodTrack disappears, but I could redirect iTunes. I'm like, I could bring it back pretty easily and it would still keep existing on Squarespace. But Squarespace also, yeah, there's no stats built into it and it doesn't let you like replace an MP3 file or in the way that I have it right now, if if I have an issue with the file and I replace it, it kind of kills my feed and I need to like re-release the show. It has mediocre support for the newer podcast features. It's it's almost there, but it has some pretty frustrating limitations. Yeah. And now with Fireside, it is completely built for somebody that is already full-time podcasting because Dan Benjamin has however many shows. So the features that are amazing are like, the file, the the MP3 file is independent of the like RSS item of the episode. So I, I've had to replace episodes, and you can do that quickly without causing any issues. Uh, you can just use a little bookmarklet to add links to your show notes, so that every time you see a link, it's going to be in your show notes. You hit one button, and it shows up there. You can create accounts for all of your show guests. So anybody that's so like you'll have a little guest account. And it'll link back to all your social networks. And anytime you're on the show, I just relink you saying, look, Ray was on this episode. And it brings back all that information. What else? Great stats. I, I think that it's probably pretty much everything that Lipson has, although I haven't done like a cross comparison. And it's beautiful. That's a, a big difference. Like it looks like a modern website, right. you know, built with bootstrap, whereas Lipson really does need a redesign. And I know, I know design shouldn't determine this kind of thing because it is about audio, but it, it, it makes the experience feel a lot better. It makes me want to podcast more when I'm not frustrated with what I'm using. Right. And that's what I mentioned. If, if you want a website that looks good, that's on the platform that you host at, like I, Blueberry and Lipton are built more for your own website. They, they provide the option to have sort of like a blog page. That's for someone who just doesn't want to bother with their own website. It's more of like a host only. That's how I look at it. They have a page if you need one. But yeah, if you want something that looks really great, you know, that's always that before Fireside, I, you know, there was Squarespace and I was reluctant to put people over on Squarespace. But I was like, if you want an easy website that looks good, but then you got to deal with the podcast things that didn't, you know, before they even didn't even host podcasts. It was sort of like you just put your embed player over there. I mean, you had to create your feed somewhere else and stuff like that. So it's it's a good solution for that, at least from what I've seen. Again, I haven't tried it out. And it's good to hear from you because I know design is important to you. It's important to me too. So um, I think that same thing that goes with audio quality, video quality, uh, quality of everything that sort of surrounds your brand. Um, I think it's important because that first impression really says, hey, this is this person takes it seriously. It's just something that can attract someone or – it doesn't put you off. I don't know. It is tough. I don't want to say that design is like something you have to have, but it, it doesn't hurt. Let's say that. And in fact, yeah, it can help. A lot. I think it helps. I think it helps a lot. I mean, YouTube is a great example. Like you will give someone much more, I guess, credibility when they purchase like a $5 opening motion graphic that they didn't create, but you're like, wow, that <laughs> yeah, looks for good. Sure. And you, yeah. cause you yeah. think you think there's more behind it than there is. Um, yeah. this is just a first impression type thing. And you think, oh, wow, this, 
This isn't just your average YouTube video where someone's holding a webcam and, well, and recording something. Even bigger impact you can make is your thumbnail designs. Thumbnails yeah, thumbnail looking is good is everything in a way. Like, That's huge on YouTube. You yeah. know, if you if your thumbnails are terrible, it can be really hard to have anybody watch it it's that's your that's your one shot to get someone to click and you know same goes with podcast cover art you know in itunes people might be browsing and all they see is the artwork so there are certain things that your artwork should do in order to maybe not turn away that one listener you know what i feel like my camera podcast if you just lurk for go search for photography right now in podcasts all the top results are really exceptionally poorly designed not every show out there, like there, there are some great ones that, you know, the Relay FM show yeah. uh, has nice art. Like anybody from a network is good, but all the independents just don't have great design right now. And I always feel like, come on, I have decent cover art. I should be hired just because of that. Which is good news too, because it shows you that if it's not, everything's not driven by that. Totally. Whereas yeah. I, it is more on YouTube, but less on podcasts. Yeah. Those people that have been putting out regularly, uh, more regularly than I have mm-hmm. can still do better than me because I'm, I'm lazy. It, yeah, and it all comes down to content. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. see, that's the thing is most people aren't going to find a podcast because they were just browsing the store looking at cover artwork. Someone right. told them about yeah. it. So yeah. it's coming from the community that's saying, hey, go check out this this podcast. And that's how most people are going to actually get to your podcast. So let's go a little further down the how to start a podcast thing. So you have bought some uh, monthly hosting from uh, one of either, you know, Lips and Blueberry or Fireside or something else. And now you need... What do you need? A mic to talk into? Yeah, mic does help. And, you know, <laughs> this is a point where you should, there's an investment to be made here. And we're talking about quality. And I think people who follow you are also into quality. And I know you talk to an audience that is at absolutely any budget, but I'm going to, I want to talk to people that like you are, are taking it really seriously. They're willing to spend at least you know, like they're deciding like this podcast thing is going to, is going to last and I'm going to put my all into it and make it as good as I can. How would you budget a few hundred bucks? Yeah. I mean, so if you're including like hosting everything, you, you, you've, you've dropped 15 to $20 a month, you know, and that's a monthly thing. It's probably different than your initial upstart investment in gear, Mm -hmm. but gear always comes down to, it's very um, specific to how you're recording. So are you doing a show by yourself and that's it. Are you doing interviews, um, you know, online? Are you doing, are you out and about like man on the street, mm-hmm. uh, location-based? Are you doing multiple people in studio, out of studio? So all this depends, but you know, for the get started, I want to do a podcast, uh, talking to a microphone, you know, there are microphones anywhere from 70 to on up basically that, uh, you know, that minimum range that the ATR 2100 is a cheap microphone but it's really high quality. Yeah. Um, it sounds as it sounds as good on my voice. Everyone sounds different on even the same microphone. But it's nice because, you know, I wouldn't say if you are willing to invest a little bit more, I probably wouldn't put you on that microphone. Um, that has an ease uh, factor to it because it's USB and XLR, and you can grow with that microphone, and it can expand to a mixer if you want to start with USB. So if you just want to grab an ATR twenty one hundred, put in USB in your computer, and record. You be done. Like you can get the quality you want out of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a, a passable podcast that nobody would criticize the audio for. Yeah. Well, and there, to be honest with you, I mean, you would not upgrading your gear at that point is not. I don't think it's going to change if you know how to use the ATR, and mm-hmm. it's more about your recording environment. Yeah. 
you're not going to get any better audio. Or, or it'll be marginal steps forward. Yeah, it's the uh, law of diminishing returns, right? So you can sure. spend $400 to get a tiny bit more than only you're going to notice. But, you know, I'm talking to you on a PR40. I think you have the high PR40. Yeah, I think we're the exact same setup on each. On we have a lot of setup, yeah. same setup, right. And I got a boom arm, and it's going into like a processor and then an audio interface and all that stuff. My favorite easy setup that's quality and can grow is like a decent audio recorder and a nice microphone. Mm-hmm. And the reason I use a boom arm is to get the uh, microphone any position I want in front of my face, but also off the desk. Right. <clears throat> Which these are the things that are important when it comes to quality because, you know, if you are typing on your desk or you're doing something else, you put your hands on your desk, it's going to transfer yeah, through thump, thump, thump. to the microphone. Right. So that, you know, shock mounts and all the accessories you can get and add on, those are what those things help do. But, um, you know, the classic... RE20, I think it is. It's a broadcaster mic. Sounds fantastic. The SM7B. Um, there are so many great microphones, and but they all require different things in terms of some need more gain. Like that SM7B, I love that microphone. I don't even have it. But what I really like about it is that I feel like anybody can talk into it with even bad microphone technique, meaning they talk right into it, and right. the plosives aren't an issue. I feel like anyone can use it. So if you had a guest, say you were going to do a, a, a show where it's you and someone comes to your studio. An SM7B is a nice option because you can put anyone in front of it. They sound good, and they don't need good mic technique yeah. for the most part. At least I, that's what it seems like. But you're going to need some extra gear to power it. I've been using the SM58 as my guest mic, and it sounds great. I do find they need to choke up on it quite a bit. Oh, they're holding it. Or Well, distance will make it worse. They have to just oh, stay pretty close to it. Um, but yeah, like I watch Joe Rogan's podcast, like the videos of it, and he has the... I, I keep forgetting the name. What are you saying? SM. I think he has the SM7B, sure. SM7B. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're really sloppy with how they talk to it. Yep. It's just, it's all over. They lean back and it, it sounds, it sounds great. So, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm thinking of doing the ATR 2100, getting like two or three of those as my, when I have guests and also backup, because sometimes, like the other day we were trying to do a show and running into issues. Like this is a, another thing. If you're getting an XLR only, Mike, you are putting it yourself at high risk of more issues <laughs> once you're using an audio interface and you're just adding more factors into the line uh, you can screw things up <laughs> a, lot, a lot worse every bit you add to the chain right and that's where quality is tricky because you think oh i bought all this nice gear i've got four pieces of amazing gear doesn't sound as good as this stupid <laughs> usb microphone yeah, that i have they spent 70 dollars on well because there's more to do there's more there's more things that can go wrong. You know, it depends on your level. So if you want to invest, like I said, everything from the ATR2100 up to the SM7B, which is probably like $350, $400 microphone. We're talking on $350 microphones. And then there's gear that goes around that. So, you know, a nice mic, because that is probably going to determine a lot of the audio quality. But as much of it is the mic, it it is how you set up your recording gear and the environment that you're in. Environment is huge. All right, let's talk environments because you were dealing with that <laughs> when I messaged you today. I was like, hey, come do a podcast. And you're like, I'm trying to fix my room. And uh, I was at the fabric store. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So what, what, what are you trying to do right now? What's your problem? I need, so I have a studio space. I converted my garage into my office. I work from home and it's also my studio where I produce all video and audio. And it is ironically the worst place I've ever recorded in because it's just all... <laughs> you put so much all, work into it. I know. Well, the last piece of the puzzle is a big piece that needs to get done. and uh, But I found ways. There are ways to get around that. So what the good news is I'm recording in the worst place I've ever recorded in, and it sounds fantastic. 
So uh, we'll, we can talk about how that's accomplished. Hopefully it sounds fantastic. I think so. But it's hard walls. It's a hard space, hard floor, hard walls, and a box. And that means a lot of reverb, a lot of echo. And, and that does not sound good in your audio. No. So I'm very familiar with this, by the way. I have hardwood floors and cement ceilings. Yeah, yours is even tougher than mine yeah. based on the picture you showed me because it's they're so high yeah. and, and it's cement. So I need acoustic panels and I'm... I may just purchase them. I'm going to DIY at least one just for the content <laughs> and to and the experience. Um, we'll see how that goes. I was buying, I actually bought some burlap. You need some type of uh, breathable fabric where the, the sound waves can go through and actually absorb into the material that you create. So that's what I was doing, but I need a massive amount in here. And so it's such a big project. What's the general advice for this? Like, you know, normal person sitting in a uh, default room, yeah. you know, what, yeah. what's the, what's the minimum? Like, how do you make it good enough? And then that's just it. You talked about the SM58. That's a dynamic microphone. The pickup pattern is really tight, meaning that it hears the, it gets its audio from one specific portion of the microphone, not entirely around it. Right. So if you go a little away from the SM58, your voice drops off dramatically because it's, it's only picking up audio that's right in front of it in a specific spot. So a dynamic mic with a cardioid polar pattern, which an SM58 or all these other microphones I mentioned, are really good because you have to be up close to it. Now that creates its own issues. That I mentioned mic technique, and that's where that comes in. But getting close to the microphone is what I'm doing, and it's going to take out most of that issue because your voice doesn't have a chance to sort of bounce around. I mean, it's going right in the microphone, and, and the bounce is being mostly rejected by uh, a good polar pattern. But I also, I have sound blankets and I, I'll hang up sound blankets mm -hmm. to absorb some of the sound. So, you know, I saw you have like some some baffles and if you get really close to those baffles when you're recording, that'll help tame the sound. But getting close to the microphone is going to be what's going to affect the quality. It's gonna help with that those issues with reverb and it's also going to make your audio better. We know in video that getting the microphone close is usually the key to good audio. The biggest problem most people have on their YouTube videos is the microphone is just way too far away. For sure. It's if on the they camera. Use, yeah, They're not close. If they the use, yeah. Problem. If, yeah, right. And, and and so getting close is going to do the most for you, but, you know, that creates other issues you have to be aware of, like plosives into the microphone, which is where the air hits it because you're so close and it makes the sound you don't want and, um, you know, other things like that. Listening to shows, uh, a few shows by people that don't have a lot of experience podcasting lately, I found the biggest issue was... Uh, speaking off microphone. So I ran into this with guests as well, is that if you're all sitting around in a physical space and you're looking at each other, like if I just turn my head and I'm talking, if there's somebody to my right, just 20 degrees to yep. the right, this is what it sounds like, which isn't yep. very good. It gets real quiet, real fast. And if you're in a loud listening environment, like a car or something, uh, people can just completely disappear, especially if there isn't a lot of editing done in post to fix issues like that. Because um, it needs a lot of work to fix that. It really drops the the audio down so having those consistent loudness levels of everybody in the room everybody in the skype room all those things go a really long way but um wh what do you what are you doing now so now we that's that's how you start a podcast what's your next uh, project what are you working on um i mean there's always projects right you do <laughs> you're the same as me I, I think we're talking off microphone how i i feel like i'm in this weird place between hobby when it comes to i'm talking about all sort of cre creative type stuff, which is podcasting and YouTube, audio, video. And we differentiate YouTube because it's own it's its own platform, but it's also it's not a podcast because it technically doesn't live in RRs. And an RSS feed, you can't get it, you can't put something on YouTube and get it via iTunes because it doesn't do RSS. So yeah. 
that's as far as I need to go with that. But yeah, I mean, like what I do makes some money, but it's all side money. I call it golf and beer money, uh, but it allows me <laughs> yeah. to reinvest in the stuff I do, but it's not going to pay the bills. So, you know, I have a nine to five job, which is producing podcasts, which is quite unique. And uh, you mentioned Pod Save America. I, I'm on tour with those guys. So they, they did their first tour and I, if you're not familiar with that the show. That sounds awesome. I don't, I don't listen to the show, but I know of it because yeah, it's, exactly. uh, it's a cultural phenomenon right now. Everybody loves it. Right. They're, they're a one percenter. I mean, less than 1%. Basically, the amount of downloads they get, they're just they're huge. And so they're the top. You'll see them in the countdown of best podcasts for 2017. They're always like in the top 10, often the top one. I mean, there's just a massive explosion of growth for that show. And it's, it's new. It's, it's new as of like the beginning of 2017. So- um, I, through a weird series of circumstances, ended up as the recording engineer on their tour. And so I, we just wrapped the 2017 tour and I, I went all over the U S on tour with them yeah, and I did awesome. their recordings. That's yeah, so it cool. was amazing. So, uh, I'm probably going to do more of that in 2018. They're about to start the next tour. And so I probably will go back out. And, uh, so if they're in a city near you, look at the front of house. I might, I might be sitting there. I'm sure you're very busy on these tours, but I would love to see a vlog from it. If you find the time, you know, this is the most stressful, crazy thing I've ever done. And I, and I, <laughs> you don't want to blow it. I'm cautious. I, I, I'm cautious about how much I, um, behind the scenes, trust me, it kills me not to Instagram everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would definitely love to vlog. So maybe on this tour, because I have one under my belt, um, I might have the opportunity to feel more comfortable doing it because I, I, I know more of what I'm doing and how it's going to go. But it's just, it's such a massive grind that I don't know. I will try to shoot some stuff. I know I need to. I don't even take my camera. I mean, I, I looked, as I take so much gear, um, it's ridiculous to travel with, with the gear that I travel with. And I look at my camera and I'm like, you know what? I just know that I'm going to haul that around and never pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'll probably do more of that in 2018. I don't, we'll see how far that, that goes. Um, I, I have full-time job, so it's hard to do that as on the side. Uh, but of course, I will be producing more stuff. And you know, the podcaster studio, you talked about your podcast comes out maybe once a month or something. And the podcaster studio has really fallen off to be not a regular show. But talking about starting a podcast, you want to go to podcasterstudio.com slash 101. I recently did like a soup to nuts. Like if you want to start a podcast, you listen to that 101 episode, you'll have everything you need. Yeah, it's a certain personality that wants to listen to a hundred of yeah. the episodes, but everybody could benefit from that 101 episode, I think. Yep. If, if you just want to start a podcast, that's where you start. And then if you decide, oh, yeah, I want to learn, you know, I want to deep dive deep into everything about podcasting, you can listen to the rest. But just go to the 101 if you want to start. But, um, you know, I, I think I tweeted out, I'm like, does that show need a co-host in order for me to produce more episodes this, this year? <laughs> right. And it might, because yeah. I have another show called Podcasters Roundtable. Um, and that is more of a, it's more of like a campfire discussion about podcasting. It's not how to, it's kind of the what for and, and why and and bringing in other podcasters to share their experience. And that one is more regular. We do that every two weeks and we do it live on YouTube and it's an audio podcast as well. And so, um, you know, there's just so many spinning plates that uh, keep things moving forward. And I, of course I want to up my YouTube game, but that's always. Oh, don't we all? I know, exactly. It's always the plan. One funny thing I was thinking about on the on the way over here was the the fact that with podcasting, you don't need to keep wanting new gear. Like if you're that kind of person, it right. might it might happen anyway. But yes. compared to photography, you can just kind of have it all pretty pretty soon. Yep. You know, like after yep. after one one purchase, one trip to the the audio store, you can 
you can have what you need to take you for you know yeah. five, ten years of recording shows. Yeah. I mean, and so back to, you know, for someone who does have the budget, wants to spend a little bit more, that high quality microphone, like a, like a PR40 or a, an RE320, RE20, SM7B, one really nice microphone, and the sound devices, Mix Pre. Oh, yeah. That's on my wanted list this year. You're set. Like yeah. those two things. You can be in the studio, <laughs> so you can record yourself into it. You can record multiple people in studio with it. You're, you're set for that. You're set for a great preamp that's going to power that one of those microphones set cleanly. You're set for doing interviews on Skype or, or whatever VoIP system you want to use because you can interface, use it as an audio interface. And what it does so amazingly is that it records to the device and lets you use it as an audio interface. A lot of devices don't do that. Yeah, I love that. And then you, it's so tiny that, boom, you're out in the field doing recording. So it is like a whole studio. You know, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay, you know, seven, seven hundred to a thousand dollars. But I mean, if you want to make the investment, and you can always sell your gear. So, like, but yeah, compared, that will compared to photography or video, it would take. What? Well, how far would fifteen hundred dollars get you? Like, it might get you the camera, maybe right. a, a bad lens. But to really get right. into, say, video, you have to spend a good two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars to yeah. fully get into a great podcasting setup. 1500 bucks, you know, you got two nice mics and, uh, in a mix pre three mix pre whatever, you know? Yeah. It's not bad. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, Ray. Um, and, and also your, your YouTube channel is different. So people should search for Ray Ortega there and they're going to find you. Yeah. That is all video. Mostly. I mean, it's audio video production, but it's a lot of DSLR video. I always learn something. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Ray.